This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Lesson 41 of Equine Clicker 101 Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. What to do when your horse is clueless. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the class to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. They are Nova Training and Cavalier Feeds. This is Shauna Karish, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about what to do when your horse is clueless and you don't have any idea what to do. So we kind of have, it's thinking through it and using your creativity. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. One of the things that people ask me all the time is they say, where can I get clickers? Where can I get targets? Where can I find your book? Where can I, whatever it might be, side buckets. Well, you can go to my website and my website is shaunacarish.com or you can go to vianovatraining.com and they are merged together and you will find more about me on there and you can find uh, my products in our little shop there and you can also find uh, Ask Shauna's and even our podcast here. So go look up shaunacarish.com or even better yet, look up vianovatraining.com. Speaking of Vianova, <laughs> while you're there, you can learn more about what Vianova is and what's going on there. This is where I live. This is where I train. So let's find out a little bit more about what Vianova is. At Vianova, our mission is to bring awareness of positive reinforcement training to the mainstream equestrian world from the top competitors to the casual enthusiast. It helps to create happy horses and ultimately improves the athletic performance. So if you are performing with your horse, it can help you to have a happy athlete or it can have you a happy trail horse, whichever you want. It creates a unique bond with your horse and it can be used to help save some behavioral issues on the ground or even under saddle. As I said, I'm based out of there and I have the expertise and experience that can help bring you to the next stage of the game. Also, Vianova offers coaching and education and positive reinforcement that enhances any training program. And we're based in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's a great place to come for workshops or positive reinforcement, but also enjoy the Southwest scenery shopping and dining. And boy, do we have good dining. Visit vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can stay abreast of what's going on out here via Nova. All righty. Well, here we are. We are in the classroom ready for the lecture. Now, this this came up because I have a new little horse named Henley. She's a yearling. She's an Oldenburg yearling, and she is smart as a whip and really a lot of fun. So, but but babies are different, you know, and so in this past week, I found that there are two different times where I couldn't get her to sort out the little pieces. And so I ended up coming up with something that I've never done before, you know, so horses I've trained, I've trained hundreds of horses to do these behaviors or taught people to train their horses to do these behaviors. And I came up with two different things that I've never done with any other horse. So I think one, it tells me she's going to keep me on the toes for the rest of her days, (laughs) which I love. 
But I know that a lot of people can really get into this situation. So it kind of gave me empathy for where everybody is. So I'm going to explain what those two situations were just so you get an idea of kind of what I'm talking about. So it doesn't sound so loaded with mystery and intrigue. But so with Henley, I was working on her stay. So again, she's a young little horse who just came here all the way from Pennsylvania. So she was, uh, so she can be busy at times. She's really good and is really sensible. But once in a while, you're like, oh yeah, you're a toddler as things go. So she gets kind of busy and stuff. So I was working on her stay. So on the one side, she was getting it pretty well. And there is a lesson I talked about the stay. And um, I, I can't off the top of my head recall which lesson it was, but we talk about the stay. So one of the things that I like to do with that is I like to, um, a lot of times I find if I put their, oh, it's episode five, lesson five. Okay, but if I put my hands on their side, and I, I talk about this in lesson five, a lot of times it kind of calms them and keeps them still for a minute. So I give them a big handful that I go, I put my hands on and then I back off. I say, stay. And then I back off. Well, this is working great on her left side. She was getting it and it was going well and she's sorting it out very typically like most horses do. When I would go to her right side, she would get extra busy, you know, so she would, she just wasn't getting it. She wouldn't, I couldn't get her to hold still for anything. She was just wiggly, wiggly, wiggly all over the place. So at one point though, I noticed as soon as I touched her, she got still. So I thought, well, okay, I need to work with this because this is helping me to get what I want. It's helping me to set her up for success, to get, to get, to get something worth clicking so I can turn it into a teachable moment. And so what I thought, but I need to get, I need to approximate the activity a little bit. So what I did is I put my hands on her since that seemed to stop her. And I hadn't done this with anybody else before because I haven't needed to. And, and cause it just kept not working. It kept not working and it kept not working. And my goal is to minimize frustration. So she, I'm, she's just going to walk away and, and give up and not want to have anything to do with it because she doesn't understand. So my job was, how do I make it clear for her? How can I help her to understand? So I had to come up with a new way to help her out. And so what I did is I, I thought, well, whenever I put my hands there, she does hold still. So I put my hands there and then I started and I didn't take them off, but I started moving my feet around. So my body was kind of backing up and coming near and going back and going forth, but she would just stay still because my hands were there. So I could, I could kind of approximate there. I got to put an extra step in. I could click and reinforce her for standing still with that. And then she kind of got used to that movement being something she could ignore. And she got the idea, I just stand here so I could reinforce her. And then she got, as she started to get the idea, I could fade my hands off a little bit till she started to get the idea. So I had to really kind of be creative and think on my toes of what I was going to do and how I could help her to find the right answer. So this is a challenge that we all have all the time. I have an advantage to you guys because I trained the marine mammals for 10 years. You have to be creative there. And then also now with the horses for 26 years with positive reinforcement, I've had to come up with lots of different ways to help horses figure things out. And you know, it's even better when I go do clinics, I also get to see people 
do things that sometimes I haven't even thought of. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one. You know, so you get to see a lot of different people and what they've done, but also working with so many different horses, I will come up with new ideas all the time. A lot of times people listen to my Ask Shauna's. There are questions that'll be submitted and then I, I answer. Well, I've been doing this for over 10 years. So I sometimes I'll just hear a little piece in something and I'll have a whole different way I might train it. So so you'll kind of, you can pull up one particular subject and hear all different ways and different ideas. So I think it's really important that you do not, your only limitation is creativity. So do not limit yourself to, and the other behavior I was working with, or don't limit yourself by your creativity. Be creative and try new things and don't hesitate to explore and see if you can't figure out how to help them get the right answer. So the other thing that I was working on with her was teaching her to do um, the targeting. So stationary target. So I taught her the hand target and and it's still kind of newish for her, but I really wanted to go on to the stationary target. So I was now a lot of times when I'm teaching a horse about stationary target, I will hang it in their stall to stay permanently, but I will hang it and it's a new fixture in their stall. Or sometimes if I'm working at a place that I might just attach it, you know, like bungee cord it and take it away. But ultimately it lives there for me anyway. So you can do all different ways and different things. So, so as she moved in, she moved into Murray's old stall. So he already had one hanging there because he knew it. So as she moved in, this 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 stationary target's hanging there for a week before I start saying, hey, can you touch this? And it's in a corner. Well, what baby wants to go in a corner? You know, that doesn't sound like any fun. She's super curious and super bright. So that she wants things that are stimulating and fun. And that really wasn't either of those things. So she, and, and she'd already seen it for a week. So like with Murray, we just hung it there. It's new, it's novel. His curiosity would help him go see it. With her, she's like, this is just nothing to me. It's just a thing hanging in here. Why would I touch it? So I kept trying to get her to touch it and she wasn't going with that. So I did something I'm familiar with doing. I got a a handheld target and I held it lower and right in front of the stationary target. So it's actually touching the wall, but right under the stationary target. And that was going good. And then I moved it so it was above the stationary target. And because she's a little shorter, it's easier for her to touch it kind of to touch the target below it. So I started clicking that. So she started to get the idea a little bit. But every time I tried to fade the target and use my hand as a pointer, she would say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, now all of a sudden it was invisible again. So uh, so the, the using the handheld target was really a part of that equation. So what I did is I decided, okay, well, I I, I can't seem to bridge this gap with her. She's either... It's either the target's there or it's not there. And she just wasn't putting it together. So I thought, well, what I did is I turned the target, the handheld target around. So I'm holding the buoy end and the stick end is kind of working as a pointer. So I said, hey, can you touch the target? And it worked, you know, so she, that helped her. So then she just touched the target and and the tar- the buoy end was in my hand. So it was just my finger was confusing, but the, the, the stick end of the target, she kind of knew what to do with that big gesture and the thing there. So then I could, she was touching it with just that, which is just a basic stick. And then I could 
fade that out and just I could go back to doing my hand because it was easier to fade the smaller stick than it was the big target. So that is something I've, I've never had to use the stick end as a pointer. But it was but that's where I just kind of realized how much I just keep problem solving my way through it and thinking, how can I help you to have to have an idea of what we're looking for? And the other big thing is really trying to take smaller and smaller and smaller steps. So that's kind of what I did. I ended up making it where I got a step in between, you know, so the target helped, but the hand was too big of a step. So I thought, well, what kind of step could I put between these two that could maybe get me to the next step? So I think that is really your real key is trying to think of things into smaller steps and smaller steps. What can be like this, but a little bit different. And the other thing that is super duper important is really paying attention to your horse and what seems to help your horse. Me touching her on the stay, touching her, her it's back, you know, it's a lot of times it's side for horses, but she's a little smaller. So it's a little higher up there, but me touching it. And she just, I realized you keep stopping when I do that. So I thought I need to use this somehow, but how do I integrate the next step or more movement or make it? How do I, I bridge that gap? So I think that that is really the most important part is trying to think of those really tiny steps. You know, we talked about, you know, doing shaping plans. I've mentioned them in numerous times here and there. And doing a shaping plan is basically trying to anticipate the little teeny, teeny, tiny steps along the way. So you can make these teeny, tiny steps and you can, you write it out. So you start with the behavior and then you write down all the steps you think it might take to get to the finished behavior. Well, I like shaping plans because it gives you an idea to think about it in smaller and smaller and smaller ways. But there's a, a cautionary tale in shaping plans for me because I don't want people to get so, and I've seen this happen a lot, and this is where I'm, I'm kind of saying this right now, people have a real tendency to get stuck and think, well, they want to go by the plan that they wrote. You know, and, and, and sometimes you go, okay, throw the plan out the window. I have to do this differently, you know, and I think that the, it's great to have a shaping plan because it gives you those ideas and you can break it down to the teeny tiniest steps. But but you, I don't want you to be so focused on the shaping plan that you're not paying attention to your horse because they're the ones that give you the information. And sometimes we have to step back and think, what can I do to help here? So it really is paying attention and modifying. If you have done a shaping plan, I want you to modify it to just go and modify it. I mean, a lot of times that's how it goes is you have this idea. It's a guideline, but it is not a textbook. It's a guideline and you're kind of going this general direction. But most times it deviates here and there. And it's never a gauge of you as a trainer and how your skill set is or your learner as a as a as a learner and how smart they are that's not it at all and that's where a lot of times people do tend to use it as a gauge and that is not the point it is just to help you break it down so you're right at the top of the page where you are at the bottom of the page where you want to be and then all those steps you think you can use to get there but it really is being adaptable and paying attention to your horse and not not getting so stuck on what you thought you should do. It's not your plan that's important. It is 
it's their plan. I mean, it's, it's what works for them. And the other thing I've noticed, like there was a time when I had a horse named Hershey and Hershey was fantastic. He was really smart and he got through things really, really well, but I started to teach him a backup and, and he just couldn't get past three steps. I just couldn't. He just, he would, if I used the target the whole way, he would follow the target as long as I wanted, but I couldn't fade the target. And so I was like, well, he's really smart. Why isn't this working? You know, this, and so it really is a reminder, reminded me, it's not, has nothing to do with his intelligence. Just for some reason, this, this particular behavior is hard for him. So, you know, how I dealt with it instead of saying, I instead of keep trying to fade it in the same amount of time I normally do, I thought, you know what? I need to set my own goal in here so that I am using repetition and stop trying to fade it. Cause I just kept trying to fade it because everybody else would have had it faded by now. So I thought I'm going to, I'm going to do 20 sessions where I use the target and have him go back, you know, 10 or 12 steps and use a target 10 or, and not even try to fade it. Just get it where he's used to all these steps and all these steps and all these steps. But I had to put a number in there for my sake because I would keep going back to question. Are we good? Can we fade it? Are we good? Can we fade it? And the answer kept being no. It's just nothing. It wasn't working. And I don't want to frustrate him. You know, our biggest goal is really trying to minimize frustration as we're teaching behavior. We want training to be fun. And we don't, if we go too big and too big a steps, it, it is not fun. And it can actually cause a lot of frustration. So I had to, for my own sake, do it. And, and as I just did it like 20 times, I thought, don't even ask until after 20 sessions of this, which meant, you know, a couple of repetitions at least per session. And then, and I would do other things in between, but then as I try, then when I went and said, can you do more than three steps? And he could, because now I just had to come up with a different way to regulate me, not him, but using sometimes just using repetition can really help. But, you know, we do want to be raising the criteria a little bit, but this one we got a little stuck on. So it was all right, and we worked through it, and he he got it sorted out. Anyway, so those are kind of some of the ideas, and and there's there's a slew. I, I can't even tell you all the ideas of things that you can do, but I want you to challenge yourself to think of things in different ways or creative ways that you can create behavior, paying attention to your horse, what's working. And, and also, if you really get stuck, ask around, ask other people that have used positive reinforcement and some of their ideas. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people that get, you know, on, on the internet and they, they tell you it all about all their experience with, you know, eight horses, you know, and you're like, well, you know, or two horses or one horse sometimes. So keeping in mind that, you know, the more you learn and, and they're all individuals, so just because you have a few horses doesn't mean they have all the answers, but it can give you some ideas and some things to think about. So, so that's what we're going to do is we're going to discover, we're going to go out and try to get work on some behaviors in a little bit different way. Anyway, so what I want you to do is think of a behavior you want to work on. Maybe there's a behavior you've been stuck on a little bit. So I want you, before you get your horse, I want you to think about a behavior you've been working on in a particular way. 
So then I want you to think about what extra steps could you add in? You know what? Maybe what we should do Instead of going out to our horses today, maybe we should actually work on a shaping plan together so we can talk about it and walk through this a little bit and see, you know, some different ideas that we could come up with to, to help our horses learn behaviors and some of the steps we might be able to add in that we haven't thought about. So let's talk about doing that a little bit. So get, get your pen and paper for this one. And I want you to think about when we're going to kind of maybe talk through a behavior and how all the little steps we might add in, but I want you to also be thinking about a behavior that you might have that maybe has been challenging and maybe you work through it, but maybe it's one that's challenged you in the past. Maybe it's one that's coming up that you're not sure what to do and what steps to get through. And we'll kind of walk through doing one together. So get your pen and paper, get yourself, put your feet up for this one and get yourself a, you know, a, a nice iced tea <laughs> and and I'll meet you back in a few minutes. Meet you right back here in a few minutes. Alrighty. So in doing a shaping plan, thought about this a little bit and talked to my friend Jennifer and we decided that what might be a good thing to do, and this is something she struggles with with her, her horse, Scooter, he doesn't want to back up. So we thought, let's do a shaping plan for what might be the teeny tiny steps towards helping him learn how to back up using positive reinforcement. So it is, um, and he has tried some of the traditional things. So we'll kind of run through some of those that we might try, but we're also going to have to be looking for these teeny, teeny, tiny little things. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work on the shaping plan for Scooter and backing up. And so what we're going to do is at the top of the page, I'm going to put where we are, which is standing still, very still, really doesn't want to move. <laughs> so almost, she said, it feels a little bit like Scooter almost, you know, or some horses can, maybe he doesn't. He just is all bending. He just stands there. He's like, yeah, what? I, why move my feet? But some horses can actually take it as a little bit of a challenge, you know, and they can be like, no, you're not going to displace me. You know, so it feels, it doesn't necessarily feel like something they want to do. It feels like a challenge presented by, by the human. And there's sometimes the way that some people have trained the backup has been in a challenging way. It's a little threatening, you know, I'm going to start swinging stuff or whatever. And so those aren't, those aren't based in positive reinforcement. That's not what we're looking for. We want a horse who really does want to back up that says, yeah, okay, I get it. And I want to do it. So this is, will be our challenge. What can we do and how do we get there? So what we have is Scooter standing perfectly still and resistantly still. <laughs> he's, he's not necessarily thinking that he wants to move anywhere. And what we ultimately want is for him to start getting the idea. I mean, ideally, we're going to want him to back up. I, I, I do anyway. Like Minty would back up. I could take him into a large indoor arena, like like at an expo in the main arena. And he, if I could give him one cue and said, back up, 
he would back up and start moving fast. And he would back up the length of the arena from one queue. I stay in one place. And he will back up. If he hits the end and he hasn't heard a click, he rounds the corner and backs that side. If he hasn't heard it, he rounds the next corner and starts making his way back to me backwards. You know, so that was, and, and he does it with, you know, he does it with tempo. He is going someplace. And so it was, I mean, now he's 27 and we don't quite see that. He really tries, but you're like, oh, sweetie, stop. But, but it was, he was the best backupper in the world. But I've taught a few horses to back up and Henley will be next, believe me. <laughs> but it was really trying to, so that would be my ideal is being able to have some duration with it. And how do we get that duration and what can we do? We're not going to worry so much about the duration yet. What, because that's, we could go on and on and on and on and on. And, and we're going to do an episode, actually, we're going to have a lesson on um, building duration on some behaviors because that's a tough one for a lot of people. So that's at a later time. That's in a future class. Uh, maybe next month we'll do that. But for now, what we want to do is how do we get this horse who's really resistant to think backing up is his idea and he likes it and he wants to do it. So what would be the very first thing you could think of? So let's talk about first what we want to see happen. The very first thing I want to see, I want to see the slightest, teeny tiny slightest weight shift from balance to, to rocking back ever so slightly onto the hind end. So that is kind of the beginning of backing up is starting to get their weight back there. And it is moving when they rock slightly onto their hind end, they are slightly starting a backup. They're moving away from you just a little tiny bit. So the first thing I want to see is them rocking back onto that hind end. And I'm talking subtle. You know, I'm not talking a big giant movement. It's not a step. It's not even like I'm about to go. It is just the teeniest thing. So if I see that teeny little adjustment, I'm going to click and reinforce it. Because the, the, one of the things we really run into a lot when, when they don't know what to do, when the light's not on and they're at a point where they're like, I don't get it. I don't know what you want or I don't want to do what you want is, is that they just, it does there, there doesn't seem to be anything in it. So we keep trying and we keep trying and we keep not getting anywhere. And pretty soon they're like, this is hopeless. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting reinforced. I don't know what you want because remember, clarity is really our best friend when it comes to training. So this is what the shaping plan is about, is trying to create clarity for them. Because if, when they're into the training, like Scooter is, he will do it. But he doesn't know, he does, he's not grasping what this is or why he should do it. So it's trying to get these smallest, teeny, tiniest little things that we can get. Now, one of the things that um, I do, I base everything now, now this is a little bit of a tricky place to go. So if I go to a horse who's had loads of positive reinforcement and I step slight and I've taught them to Liberty lead. So sometimes this is a good way to do this is we might even start or incorporate Liberty leading in this. Okay. So if I have a horse, so these are things to consider because your shaping pan may have flow charts. <laughs> if this happens, then I could go here and here and here and here. If this doesn't happen, maybe I try this technique or I try this. So it takes a bit 
of experimenting to figure out, does my horse get this? Does this, is this resonating with this, him? Is this helping him? Are we getting any clue, any movement in the direction we're looking for? So that is where we really need to start is thinking, how can we get these pieces in place? So another consideration I would consider for Scooter is liberty leading. If he's really good at liberty leading and he will match my footfalls to go one step forward, it, two steps forward, fast forward, slow down, stop. You can, that might be a good place to have him as he's learning to match your, your footfalls. So he's kind of matching your pace as you go. He goes, if you slow down, he slows down. If you stop, he stops. A lot of times that's a place where you can start to add in a backup a little bit because they're so focused on what your feet are doing that if your feet go back, they can start to go back. And sometimes it starts first with a right-hand turn. So making sure that they go, if I go right, they go right. If I go left, they go left. If I go slow, they go slow. Fast, I go fast. And sometimes getting the liberty leading in there can help a lot. Now, so that is one place that we may go to help create the the, the backup. And, and in that situation, it's not backing up from you. It's backing up with you. So if I go to a horse, this is what I was about to say earlier, who has is entrenched in positive reinforcement. If I'm in front of him and I step towards him and he knows liberty leading, he's just going to back up. He doesn't feel like that's an encroachment on his space. He feels like it's a clue and this is liberty leading and we need to walk there. So I'm going to go with him. Now, I'm, I'm really cautious about telling people that because I want to be sure it's a horse who doesn't look at anything as, uh, you know, it, it ha doesn't have a lot of pressure release or doesn't look at to us as using negative enforcement. Because I have seen horses that seem great with a positive reinforcement and you go to step to their direction and they get quite defensive. And I know it's a little bit where they've learned it. You know, they've learned it in, a, in another way where it's a little more threatening. So it doesn't feel comfortable for them. That feels like a challenge to them. So I will never, if I am, if I lean into Minty's space, Minty leans with me. And this goes back to the Liberty leading. If I start to walk off, like I just even lean, like I'm about to take a step. I want to see my horse lean like he's about to take a step, but he's waiting for me to actually take a step before he takes a step. I will click and reinforce that. And then I'll go back to neutral. As he follows me back to standing or stopping, he's going to rock his back body back a little bit. So I may be able to start clicking on that motion right there and start teaching him. As I stand back up, I go back to neutral. My body rebalances and he, in that process, is shifting his, his weight back just a little bit. So that might be a place I start and then start taking it to, can we go just a little bit further? Can we go a little bit further and start building it into steps? The way I typically start it is by using a target. So I will have the target and have them, and that's a trick into itself because, and Scooter's thing is he's very bendy. So you put the target at his chest and he's like, mm -hmm, I can touch that. You know, he's not going anywhere with it. So sometimes putting it lower can help. Sometimes putting it between their legs can help. Like, uh, like almost like you're starting to teach a bow. So I'll put it kind of high, but between their um, front legs 
And as it moves back and they start to follow it, I click and reinforce that. But keep in mind, I'm not looking for the whole movement. I'm looking for that slight rock, rock back first. So I need to be able to communicate that little teeny tiny thing is all I'm looking for. Okay, so sometimes that doesn't work. So then the next thing I might do is, and this is that cautionary tale I keep telling you about, like with Minty, if I lean into his space, he's just going to back up. I mean, he's going to, he's going to match me and he's going to rock back just a little bit. Now he doesn't take that as a threat. And that's where I need to be very, very careful because this isn't pressure release training, but if he as he mimics and goes with me, if he is comfortable with that, if he looks completely happy and content with that, I can use that. But you really do have to be careful because I've seen so many horses that they do not like that. It has a history and it can feel invasive and 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 not not an invite. It feels like a command. So it's, and that is kind of the same when I do liberty leading and take that right hand turn. I'm not barreling them into them with my chest out. I'm saying, here comes my right foot. Can you follow my right foot at a 90 degree angle? And it's, it's an invite. It's not a challenge. So I think that mindset, and if it feels like at any point they are slightly unhappy or slightly tense, or you feel like you're having to step it up, then don't do that then don't do that one at all. But a lot of times I can, so as my horse is walking with me and they follow my steps, if I'm walking and then I go step and then I bring the target in, they'll just match me and they'll step back a step and then I can introduce the target and have it follow through. But I think in this very early stages, what we're looking for is the teeny tiniest step. So we have really three things here that might be our first step is utilizing the liberty leading with the stopping. So if they get, so that means your liberty leading has to be pretty, pretty sharp. Liberty leading is lesson two. So it has to be pretty sharp because when I feel like I have a horse really good at liberty leading, if I lean two inches to the right, they kind of go two inches to the right because they're ready to take that right hand turn. And then if I go back to neutral, they go back to neutral because they're ready for the, now they want to get prepared for whatever that comes next because they don't know. They're looking for a clue. And then if I start to lean like I'm going to walk, they start to lean, but they don't necessarily walk. And then if I stand back up, they stand back up. If I lean a couple inches to the left, they go, are we going to the left? So when they're that good at liberty leading, you have a horse who's really matching you and, and wanting to follow you and stay with you. And then if you go to lean back, oftentimes they follow and they lean back. So that's where I'd probably start with Scooter and see if that doesn't work. Um, for other horses, I might start by using the target first. But but I know Jennifer's used the target and he's like, I'm all bendy. I can just follow it without moving any feet. And then, and that the point is too, in the beginning, so let's follow down the Liberty leading path for him. So in the beginning, what we're going to look for is just for him to straighten up and to rock back ever so slightly. The next thing I'm going to look for him to do as, and as I build a really strong reinforcement history with that, he's going to love doing it. It's a simple little behavior. I just rock back. I just rock back. I don't even have to move feet. I just rock back. I just rock back. And as he loves that, and I've built a really strong reinforcement history, then I can build it into, and can we take another step back? And as it's just, a, and, and it's the, it doesn't even have to be a whole step. All I'm going to look for is the commitment 
to that step. You know, so it just looks like he's starting to think about moving a leg. And I go, yes, I like what you're thinking. And I will reinforce that a lot. Now, I think one of the things that happens quite often with people is we want to go, we want to do a lot of repetition. We want a lot in each each session. And what I prefer is go, you just rock back. That was great. Here's a bunch of food. And, and leave it there. So keep it short and very, very sweet. And this is what helps to build that really strong reinforcement history. So, okay, first thing we're going to look for is we're going to work on our liberty leading and be sure that that is really strong. And again, that's lesson two, if you want to find out more about that. But this is kind of like our prerequisite course. We need the liberty leading to be really strong if we're going to follow this particular shaping plan of doing the backup with the Liberty leading. So it needs to be really strong to the point where he can adjust to those little tiny things. Like I said, the little tiny movements and he matches that when that is going really well, then, and I feel like he's rocking back and I keep reinforcing the rocking back and I keep reinforcing the rocking back. Now keep in mind, this isn't big giant rocking back. This is adjusting just slightly back and then take it in to the next step. And look for him to just start to think about, and sometimes it's as small as a weight shift that I'll see the horse go, okay, I'm going to move my right foot back. So I see him unweight the right foot to get ready for movement. I click that and say, that's what I like. You're thinking about moving a foot and I will take that. And then we build that to actually, can we take, can we lift it a little bit? It's still not a whole step, but can he bend at the knee just a little bit like he's about to take a step and then reinforce that and then build that up into, okay, when we can get just the, the bending, the shifting of the weight, then we can get the weight, him pulling, clearing the weight so he can be ready to move a foot, whichever foot he wants. I don't really care. And, and one of the things that's really important as you're building on a behavior, you really need to pick one criteria at a time. So, okay, what do we want? We want him to go 50 paces back to the end of the arena. Okay, we're not going to get that. And that's not our criteria right now. Or maybe you're thinking, ideally, I want you to move the foot that I move. For now, we don't really care. We say, get the idea of moving any foot backwards and we can refine it later. But for each point, you want to have that one particular thing you're working on. It doesn't mean you can't work on other behaviors during your sessions, but for this particular behavior, only work on one little criteria at a time. We can refine it later. So sometimes I'll be helping somebody like with, you know, haunches in or something and, and we are using... <clears throat> a target and what they would get is the, the butt would come way too far in, let's say. And that's say, Okay. We need to use two targets because we need to be able to control, control the head and the butt at the same time. So we can at least get a better angle, you know, not so much butt and no head because they would just go straight and the head would go out. We need the head forward and the butt coming in. So we'd use the two targets to start to kind of get a little bit of control. So they're thinking head and butt moving. And then people say, but he's not stepping over correctly. It's like, I don't care. Right now, I don't care. We'll care about that later. For now, we just need to say, can we adjust these two parts? And then we can refine it into the, the movement that is, you know, more along the lines of what you want. But 
So remember, that's just that one little piece at a time and one little piece at a time and never get greedy trainer syndrome. So when we have him where he's thinking about, okay, I'm going to clear, I'm going to bring my weight over to my left so I can move my right foot, go, yep, I like that. And then I look for one little lift, even bend at the knee. That would be my next step. And then I would let that and I'd reinforce that quite a bit. And then I'd look for it to actually turn into moving the leg and I'd reinforce that a lot. And if I had a horse like Scooter who was stuck in these places, if I got the slightest little thing, I'd give a big pile of food and say, that's all you had to do. That's it. And Scooter's going to be thinking, I love that. I could do that. I'll do that again. I'll do that right now. <laughs> and like, no, no, I don't want it right now. We'll try it again later or tomorrow or whatever it is. So I, that's really, really important is not to get asking for too much too soon. Take the little tiny, teeny, tiny intentions because what these do is they bring clarity. Okay, so now we have him taking kind of a step backwards and reinforcing that quite a bit. And maybe it's just a teeny tiny little step. And and maybe the next step is the teeny tiny step gets a little bit bigger. So it looks a little bit more intentional, not so shuffly. But it could be that maybe that little teeny tiny step, but then he prepares, you can see him rocking his weight to his right foot because he's getting ready to think of lifting that left foot. And, and so again, just like we did with the right foot, I say, yes, you're thinking the right thing because now we can start to get both feet moving. But in my shaping plan, I may think little step goes to a bigger step. But if he shows me that little step, but now I want to do another little step with the other foot, I'm not going to get stuck on my shaping plan and say, don't go. I'm going to take it and say, good enough. I will work with you. So this is where we need to adapt because we're trying anything we can to the tiniest little things to communicate what we're looking for and then to, to build the reinforcement history with it. Because once Scooter knows, he will do it. But as it is right now, he either has a history with it that that kind of feels challenging and it's no fun, or he just sees it as pointless. He doesn't understand what, what the behavior is and what you're looking for. So being able to create that and using those teeny tiny little steps and going for whatever seems to resonate with him. Is there anything that helps him to, to, to do this on, on his own, you know, to, 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 be able to solve this problem and figure this piece out. And then as you get one step and two steps, and they might be, like I said, one step and another little step, but it might go to one step, one big step, and then another big step. The, and ultimately, when I want real momentum for this, where does it come from? It comes from the hind end. So what I can also do is pay attention. In the very beginning, when they're really reluctant to move at all, they're going to shuffle with their hind end back. They're not going to motorboat on back there with their, their legs cranking. They're just going to kind of shuffle those front, front feet back. And that's okay. We want to get that worked out. And I don't care if you have a horse who's really having a problem with it. I don't care if it takes two weeks, you know, just keep working on it, keep working on it and little bits at a time and little bits at a time and make it so worth his while. It's his favorite behavior. And you know what? When it's their favorite behavior, pretty soon they really want to do that behavior because it really pays. But there's a little caveat in here. I also don't drill it. 
So I may work it once and then go work something else, you know, later on that day. So it's not like, oh gosh, here we go every single session. And I may be a little heavy on it, but I also want to give them breaks. So they have one good one and I just feed a lot and let that be and then later work on something else. So, and then when it gets going though, what really is going to start be as they start to get the idea the next step is I'm going to have to start shifting to clicking for back feet moving because front feet can't keep moving if the back feet don't move. So in the beginning, it is kind of getting that little rock back and maybe that little shuffle of foot back and these tiny little things. But pretty quick, I start clicking for back feet moving because the back feet is the motor. This is the part that's going to get get the, the front feet out of the way. So like with Minty, when I started to get real momentum with him, I shifted from front feet to back feet and it was back foot, back foot, back foot, back foot. And remember when they know the clicker, every time they hear the click, they think, what did I just do to earn that reinforcement? If I keep clicking on a back foot, they're going to start thinking of their back foot. Did you know, like if I kept clicking their right back foot, Pretty soon, that right back foot would be getting higher and higher and higher. I could even teach them to go in a circle because the left could just go and then the right would tend to be pretty big and exaggerated because that would be their favorite one. Now, that's not a good way to keep your horse biomechanically balanced, but it's an interesting thing to remember that as we draw attention to the back feet, we're going to get more back feet. We're going to get, we're going to get them thinking about moving those back feet more and more and more. So as those little teeny tiny steps we build, then the next thing we do as we're getting, you know, one step and two step and three step. Now we start, when we start seeing the back feet start to move, even just the first slight time that I think, well, now it's ready for back feet. I go back to those same steps that I created with the front feet. Say, if I can just see that he's thinking about lifting, I can tell he's shifted his weight so he can move that foot and he's starting to do it, whatever it is. I say, yes, yes, yes. I like what you're thinking there. So that is basic I mean, and this could go on and on and on, but those are some of the minute steps that I might have planned out for Scooter to get him started and thinking about the, the, the backing up with a positive reinforcement. Now, for most horses, I will use a target because I find the target is the easiest way to do it. And sometimes I just start with a target high and then move it low so they get the idea of just following that target and then go between their legs. But that hasn't really worked for Scooter. So we're taking a different approach for Scooter. But so the point is, I, you know, you may have to adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust. So adjusting from the target over to a different plan for Scooter is really an important part of us being flexible with our shaping plans and trying to find a way that we can help them get any little piece going at all. Another thing that you could also do that can help create, um, a lot of times if you have a horse who will move with you on one side of the fence and them on the other side of the fence, and then I'm going, and then as I shift gears and change the other direction, a lot of times, if they're sticking with you, they will rock back to shift to go the other direction. That's another place you may create some backup. So when you get stuck, I want you to think, is there any point in their day that I see them back up? You know, is there any point mechanically when they back up? When I'm bringing in food to feed them, do they back up? If I'm bringing in 
you know, whatever it might be when another horse comes in, can, you know, what can I do to create backing up and you can utilize that. So that's the part where I want you to be when your horse is clueless, you got to think, is there any point you got to really think differently? Is there any point in the day when this already does happen? Mechanically, how can I create it to happen? Is there a smaller step, a smaller step, a smaller step? So it's really being aware and paying attention to your horse. But in this, uh, in Scooter's case, I would follow this little different path because she's already gone down a path with him a little bit and it's not really kind of flushing out for him. So we have to change our tack, change our shaping plan and come up with a new plan that we might follow. So I hope this gives you some ideas of things that you can do. Some of the smaller steps that we might take to help build this and, and the, the little nuances that can help create um, the behavior you're looking for and don't give up. There's a way to get through it. It's up to us to figure out how can I help you understand what this piece is. And remember, don't get irritated and don't, it should always be fun. I just keep kind of having to challenge yourself and think about what that little piece is. There's a way through anything. It's up to us to figure out what that is. So that's a shaping plan. And I want you to uh, take a moment and and kind of think maybe about some other behaviors you might want to do or some little steps that may help you. And I think, because this is really a rough one and it really is, I mean, a rough meaning the shaping plan. I want it to be a little rough because I want to feel like I can adapt it at any time and change as I go. But I need to give each of these little teeny tiny steps a chance first. Okay. So, what we want to do is I want you to do, think about a few things. We're going to come back and have a little homework that we're going to go over. And what I want you to do in the next, um, you know, little time to kind of practice this and, and to challenge yourself. Now, of course, we have some homework to get to, but one of the things that is super important, I think, with the uh, with, with positive reinforcement, obviously, is finding a reinforcer that they truly value because it's all about motivating the horse now, isn't it? If he, we need to put something in it for them. So we give them a reason. They're either avoiding something they want or trying to, avoiding something they don't want or trying to get something they want. So one of the things we use quite a bit is we utilize food because it is something they want. It is a primary reinforcer and its power as a motivator is really unrivaled by anything we hold in the traditional training world. So what we want to do is find a food that kind of can work with their diet, something that's healthy, something that, that can add to their, their life and their, their, their physical well-being. So one of the things I like to use is Cavalor feed is a great feed. So sometimes I use just part of their food from the day, but also Cavalor makes a great treat called the Cavalor Crunchy. And it is a healthy, uh, low, you know, low carb kind of thing. So let's learn a little bit more about Cavalor and what makes them special. Cavalor is a horse feed supplement and care product company that was founded in Belgium 30 years ago, and they have been producing feed for the U.S. market since 2012. Its nutrition is based in the way horses are meant to eat. Cavalor's philosophy is based around mimicking the horse's natural diet and how they would eat in the wild, while recognizing that the demands we put on them today are different than wild horses of long ago. 
One of the things I love about Cavalor is that their products are natural, backed by research and science, and are proven to be effective. That's why Cavalor was a feat of choice for over 100 riders in the most recent World Equestrian Games, for riders in every discipline and from countries around the world. Not only do they make feet, but they also have a complete line of supplements and care products. If you've struggled with any kind of nutritional issue with your horse, you know that all products don't really work as advertised. So that's why Cavalier's is unique. Their products don't make it to the market until they have been proven effective in making noticeable differences in the issue a horse is facing. A lot of times we have behavioral issues with horses, but a lot of these issues actually have a nutritional root. With the positive reinforcement or clicker training, we strive to help the horses to be truly happy. To me, part of that, that philosophy well, really a big part of that philosophy includes making sure I'm doing everything I can to ensure their emotional as well as physical well-being. There's no denying that a good diet is a huge factor in that equation. The best part of Cavalar's team is, it, is that they're so easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real live person will call you back to personally talk you through your horse's nutrition. Learn more about the products at www. Cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. Okay, this was a little different lesson for today. And and I think these lessons are really important too. So I, I felt like it was the right thing to do for today. I couldn't you just have to talk about it and you just have to go practice it. So one of the things I want you to really think about is we always should have kind of a plan of what we want to do. So think about it. We, you want I have, now I have Henley. Henley is a yearling. I have plans. <laughs> you know, I have plans and plans and plans. She has everything ahead of her and everything to learn. So what I did is I start, so I have, I have goals for her that are set already. So what I had to do first is think, what things are most important for her right now? Now, there's a, a whole ton of things that are really going to be important that we need to get to pretty early in her life because they're safety things. She needs, I need to be sure that she is good at loading in a trailer and I need to be sure that she's good for the farrier and I need to be sure that she's good for going for walks and I need to be sure that I want to get her so she's good with cross ties. But I also need to be sure that I'm building her association with the training and with me and with and, and doing fun stuff as well. I don't want to make all work and no play makes Henley a dull filly. You know, I want her to be who she is. She has lots of personality. And so I'm going to mix in some basic things like I need to, her making sure foot handling is good and dealing with the farrier. That is really a priority right now. That's one to be one. I want to make sure she, she has. So I have a shaping plan for that, but, but first I have a big plan. Okay. So what are these early things that I want to teach her and what do I think comes first? And then what, you know, so I have a whole list of behaviors that I want to start with. Now, will that list change somewhat? Yeah, it, it will. But I, there are some that are really pretty important for her, her little life that I need to be sure are in place, that they're not, they're not just about having fun, but they're about, you know, safety and, and health and all that kind of thing. And then also I have things that are maybe not specific behaviors, but I have you know, I'm working on a little impulse control with her and I'm working on, so I have this big plan 
And then within that, I have these ones that I think, okay, well, this, this is going to come first. And I have a shaping plan for each of the behaviors within that plan. So I have an idea what I think it's going to look like. And as I get moving towards that behavior, it can change a lot, you know, as we kind of talked about with Scooter. So what I want you to do is maybe think about your different horses and maybe you're, you're like my horse is 14 and he's really great at everything, but he's not so good with that, um, not so good with the clippers or whatever, you know? And so maybe that's something you want to start working on. So you might put that on your list and maybe you decide, I would like you to go to a stationary target and want, maybe I want to be sure that you're really good at the trailer, even if I'm not, you know, can you load at Liberty? Does that tell me a lot about how you're doing? So I think there's, have a list of things. And if you feel like your horse is pretty good, pick out the things that maybe you want to strengthen. Maybe he could be better about injections. Maybe he could be better at his flying changes. Maybe he could be better at his downward transitions. And so maybe you have a few things you want to refine and you have maybe one that's a sticky behavior that you, you want to get to. And then maybe you just have some for fun behaviors that really help build his, his association with the positive reinforcement and, uh, and the relationship he has with you and just to keep his mind going. It's endless, all the things you can teach. So I think start with your big overall and then you kind of hone it down and you have these sub list or sub plans that you're going to be working on. So, and, and yeah, I would also recommend having a list of behaviors you're working on because I'll tell you, I get out there and go, what are we working on? And I can't remember. So if I have my little list, I'm like, oh, I'm going to work on these three things today or in this session. Anyway, so I think you kind of, that, that was more homework than anything, that whole little plan. And hopefully it really helped you to think about how to help your horse when he gets stuck and, and how to, to help you to think outside of the box and building those little tiny steps to bring clarity and help, help your horse get on, get on the ball on target. <laughs> anyway. All right, you guys. Well, I hope that this really helped you to think about things a little bit and, and to give you some new ideas and breaking things down. You know, you can listen to this on most of your favorite podcast players. You can also listen on the horse radio network app, which is available for your iPhone or your Android device. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free, and of course, it's easy to use. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com, and there's a slew of them for every walk of life. You can listen also on, uh, if you go to vianovatraining.com, you can find uh, Shauna Karish and my um you can find the podcast on there as well, as well as you can find out what we're up to at Via Nova and you can even get to some of the Ask Shauna questions or, or products or whatever it is you want, or just learn more about us and what we're doing. Anyway, it has been great fun and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. All righty. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.